Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Schell. We're so glad that you can join us today. We pray that our time together would be an encouragement to you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. In this season on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast, we are highlighting past and present fellowships, networks, institutions, uh, relationships, friendships that have brought gospel ministers together that has spilled over out of their fellowship into reformation and into mission. So we're highlighting this season, past examples and present examples. On this episode, we're going to be talking with Jeff Chang, curator of the Spurgeon Library and assistant professor of church history and historical theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, Jeff and I are going to talk about Spurgeon's Pastors College and the impact it had in the lives of those trained, the churches planted, and the really the network and the friendships that built up around that, uh, that institution. So let's get into it now. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Justin, it's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, for our listeners who maybe don't know you or don't know much about you, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're at, what you're doing, favorite color, whatever comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, I currently serve uh, here at Midwestern Seminary. Uh, I am an assistant professor of historical theology, uh, and I'm also the curator of the Spurgeon Library. Uh, when I got this position, I had to look up what a curator did or does. <laughs> uh, uh, we have this wonderful uh, space here called the Spurgeon Library. And, you know, of all places in the world, Spurgeon's books are in Kansas City, Missouri. Wow. Uh, and so that's what the Spurgeon Library is. It's 6,000 volumes of his own pastoral library. Mm. Uh, and we use the space as a kind of a, a museum to tell the, the story of his life and ministry, but also mm -hmm. as a research center. So we've got all kinds of wonderful Spurgeon scholarship coming out of here. So I serve at the seminary. Uh, I'm a member of Warnall Road Baptist Church. Uh, I'm married to Stephanie. We have three kids. Yeah, I'm yeah. a blessed man. Yeah. Amen. Hey, that's, uh, it's so good to, to hear. I mean, I can just imagine, do you have folks coming to visit the, the, the library kind of, um, I don't want to use the word pilgrimaging, <laughs> um, but is that just something that random people wander in? I could imagine almost every day. Yeah, we, we get frequent visitors. Uh, yeah. Last year, we got some big name visitors. So Carl Truman stopped by, he was preaching in town. <laughs> and a Joel Beakey, yeah, and others. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but then local church pastors, you know, students, seminarians—they're yeah. they're not making pilgrimages, but they certainly yeah. want to come and, and see the artifacts uh, and, and learn more about Spurgeon. So yeah. it's a privilege that we get to steward these things. That's wonderful. Well, Jeff, as you know, we're spending this season of the Reformation Fellowship podcast looking at past and present examples of ministries, networks, institutions, friendships that helped foster the two words in our name, Reformation and 
fellowship. Mm. And I'm excited to talk with you today about Spurgeon's Pastors College, mm. um, what, it, what it was, how it helped bring together like-minded, like-hearted gospel ministers, how it then helped launch them into ministry and gospel partnership and, and see what we can learn for today. So m- maybe... Mm. For those of that, uh, for those of us that don't know much, could you give us an an introduction to the Pastors College? What what it what was it? What is it? What when was it founded? Why? How? All those things. Yeah, the Pastors College. It was founded by Charles Spurgeon. This was his effort to train up future pastors. It's important when you write the Pastors College, you write the apostrophe after the S. So the Pastors. Hey, it belongs to the plural college. pastors. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, it, it was uh, started uh, in 1854, basically, when he first, he arrived as a pastor there in the spring of 1854. Mm-hmm. And, and very soon after, there was a young convert in his church. His name was T.W. Medhurst. Okay. Uh, he was an apprentice rope maker, uh, not very well educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so sort of converted and he began to want to share the gospel. So he began to preach in the open air. And mm-hmm. uh, very soon... Some members of his church went to Spurgeon and said, hey, look, you've got this uneducated member preaching in the open air and, and he needs a lot of help. You know, he's uh, he's like speaking with all this improper English and he's going to make sort of an embarrassment of us. Yeah. Uh, so Spurgeon goes and talks to him and the young man says, you know, I've, I've got to preach. Uh, if, if I don't preach, you, you might as well cut my head off. And so mm. Spurgeon says to the women, well, look, he says he's got to preach. Otherwise, I'm going to need to cut, need to cut his head off. And the women say to him, well, we, you can't do that. <laughs> so, so you better train him to be able to preach well. And so Spurgeon takes on Medhurst as his very first student. Uh, he begins to provide for him a very basic education in, in English, and reading and writing, and uh, just kind of the, the, the sort of basic, normal kind of classical education. But then he also begins to meet with Medhurst to, to study theology together, to train him and his mm-hmm. preaching. Um, and before you know it, after a few years, uh, a church is ready to call Medhurst to be their pastor. And Spurgeon says, look, he's not ready to pastor yet, but if you'll pay for his training, you can let him finish kind of his education, and then you can decide whether or not you can call him. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the meantime, while you're paying for his education, you might consider paying back all that I've paid to support his education thus far. And so the church was happy to do that. Mm. And so with that money, Spurgeon took that and took on a, a second student and he took on a third student. Uh, and before you know it, he had six and 12 and, and more students studying with him. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how the pastor's college got started. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How old was Spurgeon when, um, when it started? Yeah, when he started, I mean, he's the he's the brand new pastor of the New Park Street Chapel there in London. He's 19 years old. He's 19. Um, yeah. And, you know, by the time he's taken on a dozen, half a dozen students, I mean, he's in his early 20s. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the church is growing. Uh, he is becoming more famous. Uh, his sermons are being sold really well, uh, especially in America. And so he's using the proceeds from the sales of his books and sermons to fund these pastors. He, he's basically committed to taking on young men in his church who are, are wanting to train for the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's committed to taking them on so long as they have um, what he calls a seal of the Holy Spirit upon their ministry, mm-hmm. meaning that they have been preaching and people have been converted under their preaching. So yeah. if, if there's evidence that the Holy Spirit is using these men, he's going to do whatever it takes to get them equipped 
to be pastors. Yeah. And that means providing for their room and board, covering all their tuition, um, just making sure they have all they need to, to be able to get their education. Yeah. Well, you've, you've talked a little bit about what was included in, in the education, at least at, at the beginning. Could you fill that picture out for us? This was full-time study. This was um, what kind of, a little more on what subjects would they have been digging into was uh, what, what did the faculty look like? Maybe yeah. from early on to a little bit later, um, take us through a little bit of the, maybe the, the growth of this, this, the college while also helping us understand what, uh, what a student would be experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very early on, like I said, I mean, Spurgeon has taken on just a handful of students Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are living with him. Um, he hires a Congregationalist minister called George Rogers. And George Rogers shares Spurgeon's theology, though not his ecclesiology. Obviously, he's a Congregationalist. Uh, but, but Spurgeon hires him to teach and tutor his students. Um, it's really interesting. He, the, the, the school really takes off in, in the 1860s, early 1860s, because uh, during that time, Spurgeon began to write publicly against slavery in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, he denounced, you know, the, 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 the American South and the Christians there for condoning slavery. Uh, and the sales of his sermons plummeted. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he got in trouble. I mean, he didn't get in trouble. I mean, he, people were just warning him, don't, don't travel to America. You might get killed. Um, and, and people began to hold book burnings on, of Spurgeon's sermons mm-hmm. throughout the American South. Well, as a result, um, he doesn't have money to pay for his students. He's he's considering selling his carriage in order to fund the work. Uh, he basically sees, well, perhaps the work is over. You know, I'll, I'll pay all that I can. And once my bank account is empty, then I'll just consider the work to be done. But yeah. it's at that point that the, the church steps in. Uh, the church makes a motion in the, in the congregational meeting and formally adopts the pastor's college as their own ministry. So starting in 1861, um, the church begins to take weekly offerings to fund the pastor's college. And it really becomes a ministry of the church uh, as they begin to support that work. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the ways the, the ministry grows, I mean, one of the unique features of the pastor's college is the way that it's uh, closely attached to the ministry of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And so that would be one of the unique aspects of the pastor's college, I think. Spurgeon, when he looked at the colleges of his day, he saw that they were largely kind of separated from common church life. They were kind of set Mm -hmm. off in their own little communities, uh, separated from the working class, the common person. People were, you know, isolated in their own academic worlds. Um, He found these colleges very thin in terms of their their theology and ecclesiology. Uh, And they were unaffordable for, you know, the, the common person Mm -hmm. so he you know in all those ways by by connecting the pastor's college to his church by teaching this sort of very robust calvinistic theology Mm -hmm. uh, and baptist you know ecclesiology uh, and by making it free for students who were qualified uh, he he you know was pioneering kind of a whole new way of training of pastors in terms of the training that these students received um it would not have been that different from your modern seminary MDiv in many ways, right? You'd get theology, uh, you'd get Bible, history, Greek and Hebrew. 
But I think what would be different would be you'd also get a lot of components of what we would consider sort of classical education. You know, so mm -hmm. they'll be having classes on logic, classes on rhetoric, on Latin. Mm -hmm. uh, students that were coming in with less education kind of in their background, they could take evening classes at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. There, there were evening classes made available for anybody in the church to take. You know, so people who would work during the day you know, as kind of work with their hands during the days, they could come in at, in the evenings and take evening classes. And they would have classes on, you know, mathematics and science uh, and, you know, elementary Greek and Latin, you know, English classes, writing classes, those kinds of things. Yeah. So these students were getting a, a real well-rounded education, uh, but then certainly at the pastor's college, it was more focused education on kind of the, the sort of things that you would need as a pastor. Mm -hmm. That was something that Spurgeon emphasized a lot. He he said that you know that they had a few people that graduated from the pastor's college went on to work in the academy, but really their curriculum was aimed at the pastor. Uh, mm -hmm. They were trying to think about how can we raise up preachers who who can communicate all this wonderful theology to the common person. You know, mm -hmm. people equipped to to study their Bibles and communicate it to their people. So uh, it, it, there was. Definitely, sort of a focus in the in the training there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there were all kinds of faculty that were helping out with that. There was, you know, theology faculty, um, Bible, you know, Greek and Hebrew, you know, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah, and were the students um, expected? You mentioned to be accepted. Um, they would have had to see some fruit from their preaching, mm -hmm. particularly in conversions. What, was that an ongoing part of the, the, the training as well, that they, your, your itinerant or your pulpit supply? or um, what's, What did that look like in terms of serving the church as they studied? Yeah, uh, I think a, a lot of the students came from the Metropolitan Tabernacle, but even if you came from the outside to study there, the expectation was that you would join the church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And so it was very much kind of the culture of the school where, yeah, if you were a student there, um, you were involved in the life of the church. And mm -hmm. uh, not only that, but you were also active in evangelism and um, and church planning. I mean, these mm -hmm. students were in many ways kind of the ground troops of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you read stories of these guys going out two by two and starting up some evangelistic mission station, you know, in some district of London where there was no evangelical church, you know, and yeah. they would, um, they would pull together members of the church who lived out in that direction and they would begin passing out tracts and they would rent out some hall where they would hold services and they would go door to door and share the gospel. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so through that work, um, a lot of churches began to be planted throughout London and, and then obviously after they graduated, even beyond London. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. Um, tell us a little bit about, if you can, uh, what sort of fellowship the participants may have shared, maybe with each other, with, with Spurgeon, the other faculty. What was, was mm -hmm. this a relationally rich context? Yeah, you can read some of the accounts of, you know, graduates of the pastor's college, and they talk about their college days. And mm. by all those accounts, you get the sense of a very warm, very collegial sort of mm. environment. Uh, and it all began at the top. I mean, Spurgeon himself, if you've ever 
read him or you know anything about him. I mean, he himself was this, this warm, larger than life sort of personality, you know, great sense of humor. Uh, it, it is one of the more funny stories just to read about how, you know, Spurgeon would often, you know, poke fun at George Rogers, who was that Congregationalist minister that he hired. And mm-hmm. they would often get, get in these little debates and banter and jabs you know, <laughs> about baptism, you know, which is quite funny to read. Um, <laughs> you know, a, lo- a lot of the instructors also served as elders at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Okay. So there was just kind of a, a, a close-knit sort of uh, relationships among all the faculty and among Spurgeon, mm. obviously, also. Uh, but that's true also among the students. I mean, you, part of the beauty, like I said earlier, is that they were all members of the same church. They all worshiped together and served together. Uh, a, a lot of them lived in housing provided by members of the church, uh, by deacons and elders in the church. Um, and so they, and they all served together in all kinds of ways. Uh, there's this one story of, you know, Mrs. Rogers um, complaining that some of the students had gotten to a snowball fight after a snowball, after a snowfall. Uh-huh. And Spurgeon shows up and she's like complaining to him, hey, look how these, how undignified these, your students are. And Spurgeon's like, well, you're lucky I didn't arrive earlier. Otherwise I would have joined them, you know, uh, in that snowball fight, which is so. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So there is just this very kind of collegial warm serious about the gospel you know serious about gospel ministry but also uh they very much enjoyed each other's company you know um, mm-hmm. i think it was a very healthy culture in that in that school that's wonderful yeah speaking of then you, you've mentioned a few times the churches being planted mission stations being started could you take us a little deeper in um was was there a was that just kind of up to students what did it look like for the pastors college context for them to uh, maybe organize for mission or to find ways to partner in the Mm -hmm. gospel What, what sorts of things could we have expected to see coming out yeah i get the sense that the students were quite entrepreneurial. I mean, I don't, I don't have any evidence of like Spurgeon sort of being the grand chess master, you know, moving pieces around, sending guys out. And then more of what the impression I get is there is an awareness of kind of where the needy parts of London are. And yeah. so students are taking the initiative and going out there, you know, and, and they, these students all are convinced that they've been called to preach. You know, they, mm. They're all convinced that the Lord has, placed this calling upon their lives um and so they are taking the initiative and spurgeon is certainly preaching along those lines you know uh, calling people not to wait for some opportunity to come to you not for some you know healthy church to come along looking for a pastor yeah. but uh, but even while you wait you know be engaged in the work you know look for ways to be useful for the lord mm. uh, so that's the culture that i i get the sense of and um and it's you see that sort of throughout the, the work of the college you know, he, over his lifetime, Spurgeon trained up uh, over 900 men um, for ministry, sent them out. Mm. Um, and you, even from the beginning of starting in the mid 1850s, when you start tracking the guys that are going out to plant churches throughout London, um, they are going at a rate of about eight churches per year. Eight churches per year are being planted uh, mm. in, starting the mid 1850s. By the time you get to the mid 1860s, you know, when the 
church has adopted the, the, the college, um, they are planting about 10 to 11 churches per year, yeah. uh, which is remarkable. So by, by, you know, 1878, which would be about 20 years into to the past, the, the, the college's history, um, there are almost 50 churches that have been planted throughout London. Mm. It was just remarkable. I mean, it's, it's an amazing uh, church planning work that's going on there uh, yeah. out of the Pastors College. Like they, they, the Sword and the Trowel is Spurgeon's monthly magazine. And you can read uh, in those editions kind of an annual report for the Pastors College. And they report on kind of the, the churches that have been planted out of the Pastors College. And in 1878, uh, all the pastors reported back. Now, this is not just in London, but throughout the UK, maybe even other parts of the world. Uh, they are all these churches and pastors are reporting back um, 37,000 new members in their churches, with wow. about 32,000 of those new members being new baptisms. Um, so these aren't just wow. like tr transfer growth, but these are like through evangelism, people are coming to the Lord. Mm. Uh, so it's it, it's uh it's remarkable is all yeah. i can say I, mean, I i see it as um part of the revival that's going on out of the metropolitan tabernacle uh mm -hmm. you know the numbers associated with spurgeon's ministry are, are remarkable in and of themselves but when you widen that out to mm. the pastor's college and all of his students going out to the to the world i mean that yeah. number just is that much more amazing Friends, we want to take just a moment out of our conversation to tell you about the upcoming Reformation Fellowship Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, November 11th through 12th. Our theme, the theme that we will gather around, is the gospel, our hope, our banner. We want to come together, celebrate the gospel, unite around the gospel, and be encouraged in the gospel. You will hear plenary addresses from Michael Reeves, Dane Ortland, Phil Riken, Jeff Norris. You will also select a track to participate in at the conference. There's a track for any Christian who just wants to go deeper in their faith. There's a track for pastors, a track for women, and a track for theologians and scholars. And the hope for these tracks is to grow you, to develop you wherever you're at, whatever way you're serving the church, but also to encourage you by connecting you with others in a similar place. Those tracks are each led by wonderful theologian leaders, and we're, we just know that you're going to be encouraged. So that is November 11th and 12th in Atlanta, Georgia, hosted by Perimeter Church. It will be the first Reformation Fellowship Conference in the U.S., we will gather around the gospel, our hope, our banner. Everything you need to know, you can find at reffellowship.org. That's R-E-F-fellowship.org. We hope to see you there. What would you attribute that to? Uh, on the one hand, you could think from just a fleshly perspective, mm. um, way of thinking you could say well Spurgeon was such a gifted communicator that's why 5,000 or so people gathered to hear him him yeah. weekly but we're talking about no name people people will never know their name until until eternity mm. being sent out planting churches and and 30 uh, 32,000 30 what number did you just 37,000 yeah, 32,000 
32,000 new, new believers in a fairly short amount of time in what at the time was a very secular right. uh, London. I mean, much like London today. Yeah. So what was, what would you attribute that to? Uh, the Holy Spirit. Well, I, I, <laughs> yeah, no, that, I mean, I think that's the answer. I mean, I use the word revival. When I use yeah. that word revival, I mean, this is a surprising work of God. Mm. I, I, I don't doubt that you know, not all the 37,000 people who joined these, you know, these churches were all like, you know, genuine converts. I mean, I, I, we don't know that, right? Yeah. We, there's a lot that we don't know about the story behind that number. But still, I mean, I think there is a, a unique work of God going on out of Spurgeon's mm. ministry. Mm. And um I, but I, I do think that part of it, you know, with these students who are who are training under him, because this model of training um, is so immersive, it's not just in the classroom, but they are uh, watching Spurgeon serve as a pastor. They're sitting under his preaching. Mm -hmm. They are being shaped by the ministry of the Metropolitan Tabernacle so that when they go out to serve in these churches, I mean, they have a clear vision of, of what they are to do. Um, they have a, a theological vision for the gospel that they are to preach. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're going out. I, th I get the impression they're going out. I mean, they're raring to go. I mean, they're equipped, you know, mm. and they're ready to pastor. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's, you know, in, in a sort of more kind of practical perspective, I think one of the differences that this model made in the, in the lives of these men, uh, it, mm. it really it's the older model of pastoral training, you know, not so much the university model in the classroom, but really that apprenticeship model on a larger scale, you know, um, but, but they are being apprenticed in, in the pastoral ministry. And I think that's making them better equipped as pastors, you know, once they're yeah. sent out. Yeah. Well, and uh, I asked the question thinking about um, what you'd said a, a few minutes ago that, that likely because of the thin teaching at other uh, institutions, likely what was being preached in the churches that were being, the pulpits being filled by those institutions um, means that likely the, the gospel was less known, less mm. clear, yeah, that's right. um, less obviously proclaimed as well. If this isn't, if this isn't the good news that mm -hmm. uh, uh, of all that God has done in Christ, then mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't need to plant churches yeah. in needy parts that's of right. London. Yeah. But if it is, yeah, that's right. Um, then we are going to go out and we are going to proclaim this gospel. That's the power of God. And so, um, yeah. yeah. And, and I trust that sitting under Spurgeon's preaching for four years helped, help shape that, right. Helped yeah. give them that sort of fire to preach that gospel. Um, yeah. And, and I will say, Beyond sending them out, I mean, there was, as a result of all these guys being trained under Spurgeon, there was a, a, a growing network also. Mm -hmm. in, um, these like-minded, gospel-centered churches coming out of the Pastors College. Um, so there was an annual Pastors College conference where all these graduates would come back once a year. Um, mm. They would hang out with Spurgeon. They would sit under good preaching, uh, and they would be encouraged by one another. Uh, and then mm. they would be sent out back into the field. So, um, yeah. they, it, it was, there was an ongoing sort of um, encouragement because of the pastors' college. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Can you, 
is is there more that uh, that we can know about kind of that ongoing fellowship or network that that you're describing there? You know, that would be a wonderful thing for me to research. You know, I've only begun to look at you know minute books and sources of churches that were planted by the Metropolitan Tabernacle. I do get the impression that these graduates, if if they are serving in some city where there's there are other graduates from the pastors' college. That's just a natural uh, sort of connection point, you know, and those churches are likely going to partner together. Um, I'm assuming, and, and, and Spurgeon himself, I mean, out of all the churches that he planted in London, uh, he eventually started the London Baptist Association. And so as, as sort of like-minded churches together, they were looking for ways to partner and cooperate and encourage mm-hmm. one another. Yeah. yeah. So he was a big believer in, in, in Baptist associations. And so he, yeah. he fostered that. So you're saying that if there's a hopeful PhD candidate listening to the podcast, there may be some some rich uh, exploration. Oh, yeah. Yes. This, oh, come uh, in, come study Spurgeon's associationalism. That needs to be. That's a work that needs to be done. Absolutely. Wow. Maybe they could come to Kansas City for that. Maybe. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll check it out. Oh, that's great. I'd I'd love to to hear about it, read it. So. That's wonderful. Um, can you then uh, help us try to cross the chasm of time a little bit? Yeah. As you think, um, and it could be the, the we've talked about the method of training. We've talked a little bit about the, the theological differences. Um, we've talked about some of the fellowship and the, the association of like-minded, like-hearted uh, men being trained and sent out and staying connected. Mm-hmm. What what lessons might the church learn today from the pastors' college? And and I use not not necessarily just the classroom, but ev- everything we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some Ways. churches for pastors today. I mean, the uh, a takeaway I think from Spurgeon is. Uh, pastors need to understand, according to 2 Timothy 2, um, training future pastors is part of your job description. Yeah. Right? right there next to preaching, right there next to your administrative tasks. I mean, what the New Testament calls you to is to raise up that next generation of mm. pastors who will then be able to train up future pastors also, right? I think yeah. that's what Paul's telling Timothy there in 2 Timothy. So, um, you know, pastors own that, realize that, uh, that this is your calling. And, uh, and start small. I mean, what I love about Spurgeon's story is he started with one guy. And there's never a convenient time to start. <laughs> You're going to feel busy and overwhelmed. There's all kinds of other urgent tasks. Yeah. Um, but start small and, and work your way from there. You know, uh, yeah. what, what strikes me about Spurgeon working with T.W. Medhurst is that he is a brand new pastor. He's 19 years old. And the church is blowing up. And they're trying to figure out where to meet. And there are hundreds of people coming in for membership interviews, uh, all kinds of pressures on him. And still he says, I'm going to train up this young guy, you know, and and who knows if more guys come, I'll train them up too. So, um, so start small, go from there, uh, prioritize it, ask, ask your deacons and elders to set aside some money in the budget for it. Mm. If there's nobody to train, pray about it, right? Pray that the Lord will raise up workers for the harvest. Um, And, and give your people a vision for that work. I mean, if there's nobody to train, ask your people to pray for this. 
you know, at, yeah. the, at the next congregational prayer meeting, make that a regular item of prayer. Yeah. Uh, Lord, would you raise up workers for the harvest out of yeah. our midst? That's right. Um, Matthew 9 ends with pray for laborers. Yeah. Matthew right. 10 starts with, oh, look, there's laborers now. That's <laughs> right. That's out. right. Yeah. And, well, yeah. and, and the sooner you involve your people in that work, I think the better, you know, if you give them, because if, if you have to train up future pastors, um, that's going to take up your time. That's going to take time away from the congregation to have you go to their son's baseball game or, or visit them in the hospital or, you know, whatever. Um, but when the church realizes, no, this is important work for our pastor to do, you know, for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, uh, they'll get excited about it, you know, and, and when once that young man gets launched out or sent off to seminary, I mean, they'll they'll be praying for him. They'll be supporting him. Um, yeah. They'll begin to see that there's something wider about the work of the gospel than just their church. You know, mm. and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So for pastors, you know, involve your the church early on. Give them a vision for, for that work. Um, yeah, uh, some basic takeaways there, I think, for. For broader institutions, you know, like I, I serve in a seminary, and uh, one of the things I love about Midwestern is uh, we're constantly looking for ways to partner with local churches in pastoral mm. training. So, so we understand the importance of having pastors come alongside our students to mentor them. Um, so we have all kinds of programs to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. uh, really, we're looking as, as much as the seminary can be a resource for churches as they train up pastors. I think that's a that's a good role for seminaries to pray to play. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. Mm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I know we are we're getting short on time, but I wonder if I could just change the subject for a minute. Yeah. Um, you've just had a book published, Spurgeon the Pastor. That's right. And um, I we'll have you back for a whole nother a whole nother. <laughs> okay. Talk about talk about the book, but give us give us a few minutes. Um, some major takeaways for you. I, I'm I'm throwing it open. However you want to share, but um, it could you could summarize the book. You could share what 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 drove you to do it. But uh, want to hear just uh want to give a plug. And yeah, thank you so uh, much, guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I came out with a book, Spurgeon the Pastor. Uh, my contention in this book is that. Spurgeon's kind of fundamental ministry was a local church pastor. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of attention being given to him as a preacher, a writer. He's the president of a college. You know, he, he's, he founded two orphanages. Mm -hmm. um, so he can seem like this larger than life sort of figure. But really what I'm arguing is that at the end of the day, what he was was a local church pastor. And everything he did as a local church pastor uh, was rooted in, in, so, in his kind of biblical and theological convictions. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he is in my mind kind of the first megachurch pastor in church history you know mm. when we think of megachurch pastor i mean um in, in the way we think about church today i mean spurgeon really is the, f the first of that kind and yet what's striking is um even as the church is changing as thousands of people are coming he remains fixed in an actually very old uh very convictional and theological and biblical sort of mm. practices uh, about mm. the church, things like church membership and church discipline and congregationalism, calling elders and deacons. Um, so that's what I, I try to unpack in the book, just show, hey, how did Spurgeon pastor 5,000 people? 
Um, mm. And uh, how did he keep track of these, these people that were coming along? How did he seek to be a faithful shepherd? Yeah. And so if, if, for, for church leaders, for pastors today, even for just members of churches who, who, who want to be grow in their understanding of the church, um, mm. I hope this is a useful resource. Uh, I hope Spurgeon becomes a helpful conversation partner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, um, dear listeners, you've you've heard about the book now. Please go out and buy yourself a copy and one for uh, a pastor friend as well. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for making some time for us to talk about the Pastors College. That's the P-A-S-T-O-R-S apostrophe college. Um, <laughs> you learn something new every day. And um, yeah, encouraging us uh, through what you've been learning, what you've been, uh, what you've been discovering about God at work through, yes, Spurgeon, but even more so through, uh, through so many more who were mm. trained, sent out. That's right. Uh, yeah. Loved getting well, to thanks hear Thanks for that. having me, Justin. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union, and so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.